Okay, well, we find ourselves back in James chapter 4, and, uh, you know, every time I, I get up here, it's, it's a, usually several months, and so uh, what I end up doing is trying to get us back to where we were and giving us the context for today's message, and that's what I'm going to do, <laughs> is give us the context for this morning's uh, message. And, and really, uh, just to give you an idea of what's going on, James, as uh, one of the early leaders of the Jerusalem church, he's addressing the Jews that have been scattered abroad. And there's been conversions, of course, uh, through uh, after Christ died, and now the apostles are, are spreading the gospel. And now little churches are are forming uh, across the land, particularly in the, in the area of Judea. And, and, and you know, they're, they're now dispersing. But many of these early churches were comprised of Jews. And um, for James, uh, himself being a Jew and, and coming out of that background, now he's addressing some of the dynamics, some of the issues that are plaguing the early church. And as such, uh, his heart is coming from a pastoral heart, and one in which he's going to address the people in a very practical way. And he's not necessarily interested in the gospel, per se, in the sense of, you know, we are saved by grace through faith, through, through Christ, okay? But that once we are in Christ, once we have proclaim faith in him, what does that look like? What, how should that manif- manifest itself in our very lives? Because he's seeing some issues arising in the early church. And as such, he's going to be very practical. You're going to go through suffering. You're going to have problems with other Christians. And that, in particular today, is what we'll be going over. In James chapter 3, he, he starts this section, if you could turn in your Bibles, in James chapter 3, before, of course, he addresses the issue of tongue. But the tongue is used in regards to our interpersonal relationships, as well as our, to our worship of our Lord, right? And often we will use our tongues in not very good ways, and in fact, and he picks it up again in James chapter 3, this idea of wise and understanding among us. And that there, there is, or there seems to be, within the church dynamic, an inability to get along. There are conflicts. And namely, it arises out of selfish ambition and jealousy, we see here at the end of chapter 3. There's also an issue of worldliness and covetousness in the beginning part of chapter 4. And there's also an issue of pride, as we saw from our last time together in the middle of chapter 4, starting in verse 6. The issue of pride, that all of these things get in the way of our interpersonal relationships to the degree that there is a breaking of fellowship. There is judgment. There is speaking 
evil. And this is what we're going to be focusing on uh, this morning as we come to this section of James chapter 4, this idea of speaking evil and judging. And again, it's in the context of being a part of the family of God, the church of God, where it shouldn't exist. And yet, we see over and over again, even in the church today, that there are issues between brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what we're going to look at, and we've entitled this morning's message, Don't Be a Critic. Don't Be a Critic. There's basically four points to our passage this morning. We'll go over those, but let me, let me begin with a word of prayer, um, and then uh, we'll get into the text here. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege it is to know you, to come to an understanding of who you are through your work, specifically in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the privilege it is to have a relationship with you. And we know this was not something that was done lightly, that it wasn't cheap. It cost. It cost you your very son. And we thank you for that, that as we have now received your grace and reached out in faith and come to know you in a saving way, we can now experience what it is to be in Christ. What We can experience what it is to be a part of your family, to be a part of your church. And thank you that here in James we get to understand what does that really mean? How does that manifest in our lives and especially in the way in which we speak to one another. Help us to learn this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 4, 11 to 12. I'm going to read that for us and then we're going to work our way through it. <clears throat> Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Have, have you guys ever heard uh, someone say that being a Christian isn't about the do's and the don'ts? Have you heard that? I think... An, I think a number, I've certainly heard it. I uh, can't really say that's true, right? Because right here we have a don't. And uh, of the 108 verses in James, there are 54 imperatives, meaning that there's a lot of do's and don'ts. And here... We're confronted with a particular don't. Don't be a critic. Okay? And, uh, and of course, we, get a, we understand what, the, what that quote or what that saying is about. That ultimately it is a relationship between us and Jesus that moves us to do the do's and don'ts. Or at least that's what it ought to be. Okay? And here... 
James confronts us with a particular don't. We begin with don't speak evil, okay? Don't speak evil and judge <laughs> here in verse 11, okay? Don't speak evil and judge. Let's, let's go over the first point here. So critics speak evil and judge, and, and James is pointing us that we should not be doing these things. So what is this idea of speaking evil? This idea of speaking evil is to slander. It is the idea of defamation. Okay? And it's actually a very uh, rich term here that I was trying to convey in uh, short words. I mean, slander and defamation are a good way to describe this word, but I thought this description of this word really hit it on the mark here. And it's from D. Edmund Hebert, and he says this. It denotes critical derogatory speech that is maliciously intended to influence others against the person being spoken against. It is generally assumed that the harsh critical remarks are about someone absent. It is the temper that deliberately calls attention to the faults of others while minimizing their virtues. The evil lies in the speaker's hostile intention. Here, and here's the, the punch. The evil lies in the speaker's hostile intention aimed at eroding the position of character of the one spoken against. It is an activity related closely to the work of the devil, the slanderer himself. As an early shepherd of the church, of the early church, James is uh, concerned about the very behaviors of the ones that are part of that church. And you see here, very early on in this verse, brothers. This is not people outside the church. These are his very brothers and sisters that are in it, that are apparently guilty of such a thing, that they are speaking evil. In 1 Peter 2, it says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So for Peter... He's seeing that this slandering, this speaking evil, this defamation, this condemnation is being done by those outside the church to those that are part of the church. But here in James, James is concerned about this very same act, this very same deed that is happening within the brothers and sisters of God. The reason I pause right now, I'm, I, I was hesitant about sharing this part, but I'm going to do it, okay? And it is that, you know, if you really want a strong word picture, 
in your mind as you engage in this practice, it is literally a saving that we have today. And that is what? You are talking poo against one another. You get the idea here? Okay. I mean, I could say it in a more crass way, but you get the picture. It is something inside of you. There is selfish ambition. There is worldliness. There is a pride. There is something moving within you that is driving you to sling poo at a brother or sister. That's, that's, that's what it is. Because what you are doing is what? You are literally defaming. You are condemning. You are speaking evil against your brother or sister. You are staining them with your own sin, with your words. So the sin that is generated in you, selfish ambition, jealousy, this worldliness, this pride, and you're, you're, you're gathering that up and then you're slinging it to your brothers and sisters. And trying to put them in a position that is lower than you. I think we really need to look seriously at our hearts. We need to look at how we are treating our brothers and sisters in the church. I don't know about you guys, but you know, as you meet uh, some uh, people or you know professing Christians that are in our lives, and uh, you know, you have you heard this thing is that you know I, I I really don't like to go to church because it's such full of hypocrites. Um, I'm I'm into God, but I'm not into organized religion. I love God, but I don't love the church. And, you know, there's a lot of problems there, but have you thought about where that comes from? It could be that as they've navigated this world, they've come to a, a, a place that they thought they knew God, they joined a church, and one of the first experiences that they had was this slandering, the speaking of evil. People within the church condemning and speaking poo on them. And I think it is just those kinds of experiences that drive people away from God and his church. It is no small thing. It is when the very people that you're supposed to trust or that you say or you think you can trust and you think that they love you and yet are speaking evil and slander against you, that's when it cuts deep. That's when it hurts the most. It is when people that you think or you, you thought are supposed to love you are speaking the vilest, most slanderous things 
against you. It is these kinds of words, it is these kinds of attitudes that cause church divisions and splits. It is the effects of this slandering that we see in the lives of those that often leave the church. Brothers and sisters, we really need to evaluate the very heart attitudes we have in regards to our brothers and sisters. Is there someone you are slandering in your heart even now? Right? And this really happens a lot with the leadership and the congregation, unfortunately. Because we both do it. I said that. Oh, that guy's not really faithful. You know. Look, we're going to talk about discernment, the difference between discernment and judgment later. But, you know, when we say those kinds of things, when we make some kind of pronouncements on one another, right, we really need to first gauge our heart and see where these words are coming from. Is it coming from jealousy? Is it coming from pride? James makes very clear that the tongue is powerful. It says, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And later in verse 9 of chapter 3, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Our words can and often do have a profound effect on the lives of each other, especially in the house of God. And so as such, we need to be very careful in terms of how we use it. We can't be careless as we interact with one another. And often it's not done in the context of straight up face-to-face. Often this slandering is done with another person that is not involved. And often it's disguised as what? As a prayer request. Oh, can you pray for this brother? Oh, can you pray for this sister? There's a fine line there, right? And of course, we need to pray for one another. But we have to check our motives when we're doing that. As we talked about earlier, in the context, what is the source of this evil speaking? In James chapter 3, 14 and 16, it says jealousy and selfish ambition. In the beginning of James chapter 4, it's covetousness and worldliness. And in James chapter 4, 6 through 10, it's pride. Okay? All of these things, are, all of these areas are possible sources, birthplaces 
of our speaking evil against one another. And as such, we need to be careful as we go about speaking, first of all, to one another and then about one another. That's the only way we're going to be able to stem disunity, dissension, hurt, broken relationships. All of these are a manifestation of the sin that we let build up in our own hearts and we use it with our tongues to speak evil against one another. Well, he does here in verse 11. <clears throat> Not only do we speak, he repeats that idea in ver- uh, the middle of verse 11. Look there. The one who speaks against a brother, and then he links it here with this idea of judging. So what is Judging. It is to criticize, find fault with, or to condemn. Okay. So he's, James is tying speaking evil of a brother and also judging him. And this is not two separate activities, but it is two aspects of the same act. And here's the interplay. <clears throat> Well, let me first finish this thought here. James 7. Oops. Uh, Pastor Nam last week uh, went over Matthew 7 as well and uh, want to remind us uh, of just one more thing here as we go through uh, that passage This prohibition to judge, right, of course, is not all judgment, but that it is a qualified judgment. It is one that needs to be done after there is self-examination and self-reflection, okay? But one of the things that I want to point out in particular is in verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, will be measured to you, right? And often I think we overlook this verse too, is that the judgment that we pronounce upon each other, okay, that very same standard is going to be turned back to us, and exponentially so, by the one judge we'll see later, which is God, okay? And so we often are putting um, standards and uh, requirements of others that we wouldn't even put upon ourselves. There. The interplay between speaking evil and judging. Often the speaking evil is a result of the condemning judgment beforehand. Because you've determined someone is... is, uh, fill in the blank, you will slander them. Okay, you understand what, you're, what I'm saying here? Okay. Because you've already determined what they are like, 
you will base your evil speaking on that pronounced judgment. Okay? Well, let me give you an example. Oh, this guy's, you know, in your heart you think this guy's lazy. Okay? And so what you will do, not to him necessarily, but to somebody else, oh, can you pray for this brother? Because this brother seems to have trouble getting up in the morning. Right? And, you know, they don't take care of their stuff and, you know, so that's just but one example. But that's the idea is that because we have experienced something from them, we put a box or, you know, in our sayings, we say a pigeonhole. We pigeonhole someone to think that they are a certain way in perpetuity. Okay? Because maybe... Someone did do you wrong in the past. And because of that, you now have pronounced a judgment upon them that they are in fact this way all the time. And we all do it. All of us do it. Leaders do it. Congregation do it. We need to be careful because Yes, it is true we need to be discerning, but we need to always check the motive. And we need to be careful that we are not pigeonholing someone, making a pronounced judgment, and then thus speaking evil against them in perpetuity. The great reality of being uh, filled or, you know, indwelt by the Holy Spirit is that we of all people in this universe have the ability and potential to change. And I think that's one of the problems that we as brothers and sisters in the church have a problem recognizing. Because we've experienced something with a brother or sister, we automatically will go to that. And we will condemn and we will judge our brothers and sisters based upon a past sin. Okay. This is the very thing that James is saying for us not to do. Okay. To judge and to speak evil of a brother and sister, right, is not recognizing the fact that they are in the likeness of God, as James says earlier in chapter 3, but also that they have the third person of the Trinity and they are able to change. It is when we relegate someone to a certain box, a certain pigeonhole, that is when we are in danger of doing these things. When we have preconceived ideas of who someone is by their appearance or in fact even a past experience with them. James talks about this idea of judging upon appearance earlier with the gold-fingered man we do that all the time. 
And so it is these very things that James is warning us about. None of us are perfect. Okay. We will all sin. We need to have grace with one another. And don't let one experience predetermine your thinking of a brother or sister. Okay. I mean, I've experienced it at both ends. Okay, as a pastor, you interact with a lot of people. Okay. And maybe there are times when I have spoken harshly, okay, and, um, oh, you know, that church, they have really harsh pastors. And from that one experience, that's the feedback I get. Well, guilty as charged, okay. <laughs> oh, boy. If we choose to hold, you know, others accountable to our strict standards of judgment, you know, know that God is going to do the same with you, okay? And I don't know, maybe because we're in the environment, kind of the demographic that we are, primarily Asian-American, all right? I don't know. I don't know if it's limited to Asian-Americans, but you know, just very high achieving and, um, you know, we expect a lot, especially from our children, okay? And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of achievement as well. And so as we do that, uh, we expect, like, our pastors to be as proficient as my coworkers at work. <laughs> but we're not. We're not. Okay. My work, guys, you know, we're, you know they're, they're on it. How come our pastors can't be on it? Yeah. Please forgive us, okay? How come the deacons meeting can't be more efficient? <laughs> uh. All right, there's the don't, okay? Point number two. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Pause, okay? Judgment versus discernment. And before we move on, just, just some, a quick note on that, right? There's three keys here. What is the difference between judgment and discernment because you know um, even as we're uh, studying through Ephesians 5 be wise do not be unwise but be wise it says because the days are evil there is a call to understanding what is true and right before the Lord and to expect that of each other as well but there are three keys here. There's three key differences. Number one is the motive. And as you, as you think about how you're, you're, am I discerning or am I being judgmental? Number one is we need to check our motive. Is it coming from a self-exalting pride 
or a Godward humility and love? Is it wanting the best because of God and his desires for us? Or is it because of my standard for everybody else? Number two, the action. Is it self-focused action? I just put anger there. Okay, but often judgment reveals itself in anger. Is it self-focused action or is it God-centered action? I put gentleness there because that's often what manifests itself when it's really coming from God. So in our judgment or discernment, is, is there a sense of, Self-focused? Am I so focused in my action toward my brother or sister? Or am I God-focused in my action toward... What, 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 is, what action would God desire of me at this moment as I'm interacting with my brother and sister in that judgment or discernment? And thirdly, it is not character assassination. And that's what we're talking about here in judgment but genuine desire to look at God's word of what is right and wrong. You're not, you're not putting a label. Oh, Micah here is lazy. That's character assassination. Okay? But you're looking at a particular action. Was it right or wrong before the Lord? So if you're having an issue determining or having trouble, what's the difference between discernment and, and judgment? Those are hopefully three helpful keys to recognize. All right? All right, let's move on. Our second point is critics judge the law. Okay, critics judge the law. He speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So what does this mean? Well, what is the law? Okay. And here, James is probably referring to Leviticus 19. Again, this is from a commentator, but I thought this was... Uh, a right-on explanation of it, okay? The law here is probably the Old Testament law, especially since there may be an allusion here to Leviticus 19, okay? But as we've noted in the interpretation of 125, it's the law of liberty, okay? And then in, in uh, 2.8, which is the royal law, James implies a new covenant context for the love command and its related exhortations. What that means is, is that, yes, as 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 he's pronouncing these things, you are speaking against God's revealed will. And now under the new covenant of Jesus, many of those standards that carry over, you are now standing over it. You are judging it. You are judging the very things that God calls us to be and do. Instead of actually doing it, 
you are now putting yourself above it. And in fact, you are setting the standard of what is right and wrong. The consequences of slandering and self-righteously judging another brother or sister is tantamount to judging and slandering God's commands. Okay? Yes. Okay. You are now putting yourself above the law. Okay? No one is above the law. And when you speak and slander and judge, speak evil and, and, and uh, judge, okay, you are putting yourself above the very law that we are all supposed to be under. Okay? James calls us to this royal law in 2.8 that we love one another, okay? We are setting our own standards of what we should be doing instead of following God's. He goes on to say, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. You are just a critic on the sideline, just looking at what God desires for us and just making comments about it. It is the new social media, (laughs) okay? Because of the proliferation of the internet and what we can do with our phones, this is a great word picture of what's going on here. Everyone and their mother can be a critic of anything because of our phones, okay? But that's why I'm not on social media, okay? But through X, Instagram, and through other media outlets, anyone can comment on anything. And they can be the final arbiter of what is good and bad. So we are put in an environment and situation in our modern context that engenders and encourages being a critic. And because as such, we are all critics. We're all born critics now because of our phones. We all love to make pronouncements. And instead of doing what God desires for our lives, we just stand in judgment. We just stand in judgment. We're on the sidelines. And in fact, we are speaking evil and judging one another and thinking that it's okay. Last point, verse 12. Critics supplant God. 
Critics supplant God. There is only one lawgiver and judge. Okay. And here, this dual function indicates that God gives a law and enforces the law. As lawgiver, he declares his will for his creatures. And as judge, he upholds and enforces his revealed will. He is both giving the law and he enforces the law. God alone is sovereign. So he alone knows what indeed is right and wrong and can make a clear and fair and just final judgment. Only God is in this position. James trying to make it abundant and clear to his readers, there's only one. And we are not it. Look there. He who is able to save and destroy reminds us of this verse, doesn't it? Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. When we make judgments and speak evil, where does it go? It only goes to the people that it affects, okay? And there, but there's no finality to it, okay? But for God, when he makes a final pronouncement, it is final. Only he is able to give righteous and just judgment, The punchline is uh, at the very last phrase there, okay? But who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay. Who are you to judge your neighbor? You are not God. And when we are involved in the practice of speaking evil and judging, we are putting ourselves in God's place. That's what's so wrong about it. Because there's only God can do that. Do we know everything? We don't. Can we make a final pronouncement on a person, on who or she is like? No. Only God in his infinite sovereign wisdom is able to make these pronouncements. And yet he doesn't even judge us according to those very things. That is the grace of God. God knows each and every one of our hearts and yet still gives grace. We are wronged one time and it is the end of the world, so to speak. You see the difference there? How God reacts and how we react. We ought to thank God because it is not us in the position of a judge, but it is himself.
Let, let me end with this, okay? Um, I, I know I said that, uh, you know, when, when, when you hear of the quote, uh, the church is, or being a Christian is not a, a bunch of do's and don'ts. And, and you know, uh, yeah, from not, not necessarily that, right? It's, it's, it's a relationship with the God that saved us, that moves us to live a transformed life, right? <clears throat> but he, here we see clearly from James that there are do's and there are don'ts, okay? <clears throat> and the thing about us is we're so, you know, hard-headed. <clears throat> when we say don't, don't speak evil. Don't judge. Because if you do, you're going to stand over the law. You're going to stand over God. You're, you're placing yourself in the place of God, okay? Now that, you know, that, that might make sense, but... On an experiential level, it's hard to kind of move on that. For example, uh, when I say don't think of a spider, what did you just do? Oh. Unless you're very disciplined and you thought of a snake. <laughs> and that's the point. Uh, scripture makes it clear that there's do's and don'ts. There's the putting off and there's the putting on, okay? And what James is putting us to task here is we need to put off. We need to put off an attitude of selfish ambition and jealousy, an attitude of pride, of worldliness, covetousness that leads our, our tongues to engage in speaking evil and judging, okay? That's the putting off. We need to put that off. Church, we need to stop doing that with one another, We need to still engage. And that's why I bring us to Galatians 6, okay? We still need to engage with one another. You know, uh, you know a message like this, we're going to say, well, I'm going to just zip my lip, okay? You're just not going to talk, right? How then are we going to be able to uh, have a relationship, right? Because some people take this kind of message and say, well, I'm just not going to talk at all. Right? That's the best way to not slander, all right. Okay, that's true, right? But in the course of our relationships, as we go through this life together, as we have relationship with one another, there, of course, is going to be interaction. There's going to be conversations, okay? And in the course of that, there's going to be sin, we are going to, uh, guess what? We are going to slander. Guess what? We are going to judge one another. Okay? And in those cases, what then, how then should we move? Galatians 6.1. Again, even Galatians here, Paul is addressing brothers. Church, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you to be tempted. James 7, 1 through 5. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay. We are going to 
interact with one another. We are going to hurt one another. But in those cases, when those things happen, there is a remedy. There is a way forward. And that is that we go in a spirit of gentleness. As we, those that are spiritual, again, we're the only ones in this universe privileged with the Holy Spirit. And as such, we now have the potential and the power to interact with one another in a God-honoring way. And it says, it prescribes that we go in a spirit of gentleness. And as you do that, you can make amends. You can find harmony. We can find unity instead of disunity and dissension. Church, you know, we really need to really look at our hearts this morning as we look, as we've been confronted with these two verses. You know, the, the, the church needs to be a place where, you know, we can make mistakes, but that we're not going to be judged in perpetuity for those mistakes. It has to be a place where we can really thrive through our relationships and our words. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer as we meditate upon these truths and we close our, our time together. Lord, uh, we do thank you. We thank you again, again, just for your graciousness in the way that you've uh, brought us to yourself, that you didn't judge us according to our, our very sin, but that you treated us um, and gave to us Jesus, whom we did not deserve. And so with that in mind, may that reality and truth drive our, our interactions, drive the way in which we speak to one another, and may it be done for your glory, for your honor, for your praise, in Jesus' name, amen.